Welcome to the Travel Stories Podcast, where we bring you immersive, inspiring, and international travel stories from travelers around the world. Thank you, all you guys, for all your kind words on the last episodes. You guys are awesome. If you're new to the show, welcome. Come on in. Sit down. It's going to be fun. And hit us up on Twitter at Travel Stories UK. Let me know what's going on. Now, I don't know whether you'll remember, but way back when, on episode 09, two episodes ago, I was talking to Craig and Linda Martin about their pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago. And then I asked you guys about your pilgrimages, and you gave me your answers, and I loved them. So let's get to some. Firstly, we have Alex Law. That is an awesome... Hello, I am Alexander Law. That's really cool. Sorry, Alex. Um, so we went to the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu in Peru. He said it's 27 miles long. That's crazy. 27 miles long and a life-changing experience. I've heard that from so many people. It really sounds like something I should go and do and something that everyone should go and do. I've also heard booking ahead is probably not a bad idea with that one. So thanks very much for that, Alex. I appreciate you sharing. Next up, we have Martina. Martina Giovanni. Oh, sorry, Alex. Your name has been trumped. Martina Giovanni. That is so cool. So she went to Mount Kailash, or Kailash, I don't know how to say it, in Tibet. And it took her four days to walk around the mountain. So you walk around the mountain and you don't you don't climb up it. That's so cool. So it's said that doing the pilgrimage can erase the sins of a lifetime. How cool is that? So what that means is you can sin for an entire lifetime and then all you have to do is walk around a mountain. That's, oh, I, sign me up for that. So thank you, Martina. Thank you very much for sharing. Next up, we have one from Craig and Linda Martin. Actually, I was talking to them on email after the episode aired, and they uh, they sent an answer to the question. She said, to answer your question at the end of the podcast, apart from the Camino, Craig and I have also done a modern pilgrimage to, oh, I'm going to ruin this, to Gallipoli. Gallipoli? Gallipoli. Gallipoli. Gall I'm going to go with Gallipoli. I think that sounds cool. Sounds like a flower. The site of the most important military battle in New Zealand history. New Zealand, Australian, and British troops landed there on April 25th, 1915, so almost exactly 101 years ago, and fought from trenches for months. We ultimately lost the battle, but our national identity was defined there. And the 25th of April is the New Zealand War Memorial Day. And she said she also went in 2008 when she did a, did the Camino. So it was a big pilgrimage year for them. I was in Australia for a few Anzac days, April 25th, and you can really feel the emotion in the air. It's, you can feel everyone really honoring their fallen countrymen. So thank you very much, Craig and Linda, for sharing yet another pilgrimage. You guys are awesome. So, on to today. Our guest for today's episode is Chris Christensen, and Chris is the host of the Amateur Traveller podcast. You can find it at Amateur Traveller. That's one L for you UK guys. AmateurTraveller.com. You can find him on Twitter at Chris2x, and Chris is an awesome guy. He's been podcasting for roughly 65 billion years. He has done over 500 episodes and he has a wicked sense of humor. This guy is great. So let's get on to it. You're listening to the Travel Stories Podcast and this is Chris Christensen. Hi Chris, how you going? Doing very well, thanks. 
Awesome, awesome. Whereabouts in the world are you right now? Uh, San Jose, California, Silicon Valley. Oh, how cool. I'm uh, over here in the Midlands in England. It just had the most intense storm I've seen in, uh, in a little while, so I'm fairly jealous of you right now. Well, we've had four years of drought, so storms don't sound very bad to me at all. <laughs> Man, I would take drought over the rain any day of the week. Any day. <laughs> that's why I moved to Australia, and that's why I hate that I moved back. But <laughs> what can you do, right? So, Chris is the host of the Amateur Traveler podcast. That's Traveler with 1L, the USA way. And uh, let me get this right. You're over 500 episodes deep. Is that right? Yeah, episode 508 just came out this morning, the morning that we're talking. Jeez. So when did he start? In 2005, July 2nd, 2005, to the best of my recollection at this point. (laughs) I honestly don't know if that's the right date, but it's the date that's on the episode in the archives, so that's close enough. No way. So that's over 10 years. Yeah, I started before podcasting came to iTunes. (laughs) Oh, man. That's awesome. Not by much, but... uh, I love that. And how have you seen it change uh, in the last 10 years? Because you're, you're uh, an ideal person to talk to about podcasts. I mean, if anyone's, uh, if anyone's interested in the podcasting world, you've seen it over the last decade. You can, you can trace where it's going. And yeah, well, where it's going. What do you think? Well, it's interesting. In terms of how it's changed, the biggest, most noticeable changes were just in the press and the hype cycle because we've gone through you know, nobody had heard of it, and then it got to be a really hot thing in the press, and then it apparently died. <laughs> apparently, everybody stopped doing it from what I from what I'm reading, and then it apparently rebirthed and came back, and now it's a really big thing. What really happened, of course, during that time is it had a slow growth. Just over that whole period of time, podcasting mm-hmm. continued to grow despite the fact that no one was paying attention for a while, mm-hmm. and what really changed despite the fact that people will say it was this podcast or that podcast or whatever, what really changed is the iPhone. Of course, uh, yeah. Because if you think about it, back when I started, if you wanted to listen while you were walking the dog, you had to download it to your computer and then go into iTunes and synchronize it with your iPod because <laughs> the days before mobile smartphones mm. and then take it with you. And so it was just a lot harder. It, I know I was podcasting for something like seven years before I got my wife listening to podcasts. Oh, it just wasn't that easy and she didn't have, you know, she kept telling me that she wasn't an audio listener. No, I can't learn things in audio and of mm. course now she comes home and says, did you hear the latest Freakonomics podcast that has you? So. <laughs> nice. So you keep up with them uh, all when you're traveling and everything like that? Yeah, I subscribe to about 90 podcasts. Ooh, no way. How many is that a day then? You must get, uh, you must get new episodes every day. Yeah, I do what would be, I think, at normal speed, about six hours, but I listen at double speed, so probably about three hours a day. <laughs> nice. I love it. Superhuman. I love it. So uh, when did you when did you start traveling then? It must First, have been... you have to admit you have a problem. That's really the... <laughs> That's so. what it is. <laughs> I'm Chris Christensen, and, uh, and I have a podcast, podcast addiction. <laughs> well, I've produced three, so, you know. Nice. So, uh, yeah, you're traveling then. You must have been traveling, uh, obviously, at least for the last 10 years to have been podcasting about it. So when did you start? Well, so that's a little misleading because most of the time that I've been doing The Amateur Traveler, I've been working a a 40-hour-a-week, well, 60-hour-a-week because I work in Silicon Valley, Hmm. a day job. And Ah. so only had somewhere between two and four weeks of vacation a year. So Amateur Traveler is an interview show. 
I, I travel more now because I quit my day job about two and a half years ago hmm. so that I could have the opportunity when people say, we'd like to invite you to come to Jordan to say, yes, I would love to do that. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but most of the time that I've been doing amateur traveler, I've been working a full-time day job. Hmm. So that's one of the reasons that it became an interview show is that I put out uh, on average, uh, over 10 years, when I hit my 10-year anniversary, I had averaged 47 episodes a year. My goal was 48, so I fell a little short. I hope you'll excuse that. But I do give myself some time off during the year uh, while I'm traveling. But I was, you know, at one point only traveling four weeks a year and podcasting 48. And so I originally thought that the show would be about my travel stories. And not only is that more boring to me because I've already heard those stories <laughs> – but also, I was just running out of material, and so it became an interview show. And that be, that's probably the only reason that we're, I'm still doing it is not just that I didn't run out of content, but that it's it's fun for me. Even when I'm not traveling, I get to hear about travels and travel vicariously through someone else. But I travel more now. The last year I was probably on the road about three months of the year. But I have a wife, a house, a mortgage, all those things uh, here. So that does pin me down. I'm not a nomad. Haven't been. Don't plan to be. Not for you, no. No, I don't think so. Well, for one thing, my wife just started her J job, her dream job, rather, six years ago. And so she's not ready to retire yet, even if we won the lottery. I think she'd go into work the next day. So. Oh, how cool. That's such a great place to be in, really. Yeah, it is. That's awesome. And I think you're right with what you say, uh, traveling vicari- or living vicariously through someone else's travel experiences. It really gets, gives you the inspiration to maybe plan some more travel or just when you're, when you're not stuck in a place, but when you're in a place and you can't travel or there's some reason why you can't for the next however many years or whatever, it's nice to be able to throw your mind into that situation. Even though you're not actually there, it, it kind of, do you know what I mean? It kind of helps oh, yeah. you mentally a bit. I remember one of the letters I got from a listener of the Amateur Traveler who worked at the post office. She sorted mail at the post office, and she, in her words, it was a mind-numbing, boring job. And she basically said she was surviving the last six months before she retired just by listening to episodes and planning her travels and <laughs> How cool. basically not being there. So. Mm. That's awesome. And I think uh, that's kind of what we're doing with the uh, the Travel Stories podcast as well, trying to give people the uh, the inspiration and the living vicariously through other, other people's stories. So I hope you got a good one for us today. I'm sure you have. <laughs> <laughs> so you're up. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out later. <laughs> well, uh, I was just looking. One thing I like about the amateurtraveler.com, about your site, is the, the bucket list page. I really, really like that, just having it on there because, I don't know, it kind of makes you accountable for it as well. You can always look at it and go, hmm, where have I gone? So is there anywhere there or anything on the bucket list that uh, maybe you've got coming up soon or any, any you've got planned? Uh, well, yeah. Actually, next Wednesday night, I hop on a plane and join other listeners of the show on an amateur traveler trip to Angkor Wat. How cool. That's awesome. So heading to Cambodia. We're flying into Saigon and out of Bangkok, but basically Angkor Wat is what we're going to check off the bucket list next week. Mm, nice. That's well, the awesome. week after, I guess, but but I head out next week. Cool. And that's you and a bunch of uh, listeners from the show, did you say? Yeah, this is the third time we've done a trip with listeners of the show. We did uh, Egypt just before things got a little crazy there in – I think it was November of 2010, we did a trip down to Egypt, a part of a larger trip. Uh, But since then, we've been doing our own independent small group trips. Last year, it was to southern Morocco, and then this year to Cambodia. Oh, nice. So The the story that I almost told you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
that I won't that I won't tell you. Uh, so when we went to southern Morocco, we got a little far out there. We were down in the Sahara, for instance, in four by fours at one point. Um, after doing a camel ride in the thunderstorm, which is unusual, <laughs> but we ran into a Bedouin family, and. I missed this actually at the time. I, the, the truth is that this is not something I heard, but the people who were on the tour heard that while I was walking around. Our guide was chatting with the woman because she spoke the Berber language and he spoke that as well. And he said to them, to this couple that we had come out in this tent and with their goats and their grandkids out in the middle of the desert and said, yeah, they're from America, these people. And she had a completely blank look on her face. And he said, and he grew up in a tent. He grew up out in the countryside and he realized that she had no idea where America was or what America was. Never heard of it. And he said, it's, it's the other side of the ocean. And she said, ah, yes, I've heard of the ocean. Anyway. <laughs> That's when you know you're off the track, as it were. Completely off the grid. Oh, that's crazy. I love that. Uh, I mean, if you could, if you shared a language, you and uh, you and the other people, what what would you talk about? Would you have the same frame of reference when it comes to everything that you'd uh, that you talk about? You know what I mean? It's it's weird to think about. Well, and my understanding is that a lot of the people who live out there are illiterate, and so basically their world of knowledge is just a lot smaller. They just only know the things that they've heard in stories or that they've heard through an oral tradition. And if you're living by yourself and not in community, that's a fairly small circle of world of concern at that point. Mm. The, yeah, there's, like you said, there's definitely a lot less to, to be concerned about. Do you, reckon, do you reckon people like that, do you think maybe they're, uh, maybe they're happier in life, more to be grateful for, or, or do you reckon it'd go the other way? Maybe they're less fulfilled think- or... I think that depends on the individual. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> Honestly, I think that, uh, and you'll find that I'm backed up by psychological research here that everyone has their emotional set point is what they say these days. And if you are somebody who tends to be happy, even when tragedy happens, you will you will usually over the course of roughly a month uh, return to your sort of emotional set point. If something good happens and you're somebody who tends to be uh, morose and sad all the time, even if something good happens, roughly about a month later, you will go back to your usual habits. And then breaking and resetting your emotional set point is a fairly major deal, but mm-hmm. it can be done. Nice. I like that. That's actually made me feel a lot better because I'm always happy. So it's good to know there that I go. always will there be. You go. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Christensen delivering two stories and making the host happy. I love it. <laughs> so the story you got for us today, whereabouts in the world does it, t- does it take place? Mexico. Ah, nice. Okay, cool. What were you doing down in Mexico? Not to give anything away in the story, you understand? But. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I wasn't doing down in Mexico this trip was volunteering. And I bring that up because the first 15 trips that I did down to Mexico were down just over the border into Tijuana uh, doing volunteer trips, building houses down in the in the poor areas of Mexico. And finally, I decided at one point after 15 trips down there, I really ought to see Mexico. <laughs> I've been to Mexico 15 times and I've never really been to Mexico. Yeah. Um, if you've been to Tijuana, you understand what I'm saying. It's, a, it's, not, it's not Mexico. It's not traditional Mexico. It is a bunch of 
immigrants themselves from all all over different parts of Mexico who've come because of the jobs that are in that area. Mm. And so I decided to set off on my own at one point just for yeah, probably a week and a half. wasn't a really long trip, but to dive into the Mexican culture. Nice. Nice. I like that. We have um, very similar things because over here, Spain is our Mexico. You know, if uh, if the average person is going to go on holiday, they'll go to Spain. Um, sure. So you have places in Spain like Mallorca and like uh, Ibiza and, and everywhere right. like that. It's it's kind of not really Spain, you know. Where you could get a good pint and… Uh... <laughs> exactly. Dance the night away. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> so if you could give the story that you have for us today a name, what would you call it? Oh, hmm. The Kindness of Strangers. Okay, cool. I like that. You're listening to the Travel Stories Podcast, and this is Chris Christensen with The Kindness of Strangers. I had been to Mexico a number of times, but I didn't know Mexico. Hadn't seen Mexico. Spoke a little Spanish, but really hadn't gotten away from the border, hadn't gotten into the heart of Mexico. So I did a trip to two places. I'm going to mention briefly Mexico City, which I traveled to, just because that was the first time I got a chance to actually have a conversation with somebody in Spanish. And was just sitting on a park bench in the middle of Mexico City amidst the skyscrapers as a business executive who wanted to practice his English from an insurance company came up to me and struck up a conversation over the course of 45 minutes because he wanted to learn a little more English and or wanted to practice speaking with somebody and I wanted to speak my Spanish. And we learned a little bit about each other just sitting there. That just sort of got me prepared for the, the heart of the trip for me was Oaxaca. One of the interesting things about Oaxaca, Mexico, is the depth of history there. If you go to Oaxaca, Mexico, surrounding the city are the ruins of the Zapotec people. The Zapotec people settled there about 2,500 years ago. And you can go up to Montalban, and Montalban is a city in the sky. These people were known as the Cloud People, and they literally 2500 years ago leveled off the top of a mountaintop to build this city very little of it is uncovered in fact if you uncovered any of the other mountains around the city of Oaxaca you would find more Zapotec ruins they've only uncovered about 10% but you can go up there and you can see the structures that the Zapotec built up there these pyramids these temples hear from the guides about the mostly trading culture, not one of those militaristic cultures like the Aztecs were, for instance. They traveled all over. It was a maternal culture because they left the women at home, and so the women ran the place, just like today. The interesting part of that for me was it's not like the Zapotec people left. The people in the area are still 60% indigenous people who built this structure. And so while I was in the Zocalo one day in the main square, just enjoying the color and the music, there's always music in the Zocalo in Oaxaca and the sights, 
a man came and sat down next to me and struck up a conversation. And he was Zapotec. His family had been in the region for over 2,500 years. And it turns out that he was a weaver. In the course of the conversation, he invited me, would I like to come see him weaving in still the traditional fashion of the Zapotec people? And so I said yes, and he became my tour guide the next day. I know your mother tells you not to trust strangers, which occurred to me as I got in the car of this man who I had only met for maybe 10 minutes conversation in the middle of the city where I barely spoke the language. Uh, But we got in his car and headed out into the countryside uh, with hopes that I would get back and that this story would not end very badly. We took in some of the traditional sites, the, the large tree that's in the area that is a tourist site, the Zapotec ruins of Mitla, uh, which unlike Montalban, which is above you, were repurposed by the Spanish into churches and things like that, where they tore down the stones and built churches, but you can still see some of the ruins of Mitla. And then we went to this man's house, where he had, uh, fortunately, a weaving studio. That was all true. While we chatted, his daughter and granddaughter demonstrated traditional Zapotec weaving techniques on the looms, but also made handmade some of the dyes that they would use. They ground up the cochineal bug, which is a bug that grows on the cactus there, which they use for a traditional red dye, and dyed some fabric and into the red dyes that's the natural things. All of the fabrics that they used are naturally dyed. So it's indigo, uh, indigo the, the rock, not the plant, and wheat and grass and cochineal bugs and all sorts of other different things, alfalfa, that they turn into dyes and they dye this and they created all of the wool that they were going to be using for the weaving and then obviously with wool that already dried from previous times they showed me how the weaving worked and all of this was basically for the cost of a beer that I bought him as he took me to the marketplace I had a tour guide for a day and a friend for life and actually shot all this on video if you go to the amateur traveler there's video of uh, my friend in Oaxaca doing his weaving and showing how to turn bugs into dye and in preserving the tradition of his people 2500 years old so sometimes even though your mother tells you not to it's worth getting in the car of a stranger and uh, taking a chance. Sometimes, of course, you die. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a trade-off. Fantastic. Thanks very much for that, Chris. So um, I imagine you're a, uh, a talented weaver right now, yeah? It is not true. Only I can only weave a tail. <laughs> All right. Puns and everything. God. (laughs) So a lot of our stories that we get, they start, or somewhere in the middle, they start with trusting strangers. It seems to be it seems to be integral to a lot of adventures that happen. How important do you think that is to uh, to the general traveling experience? I think it's partially I think it's important to the traveling experience, but I think we also have to think about so when I started the amateur traveler, 
you know, I mentioned that it was 10 years ago where I'm almost coming up on 11 years this year. And I wasn't sure what kind of podcast I wanted to start. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do a tech podcast or religious podcast or, or whatever. I knew I wanted to do something. And we had a bunch of friends over and all the best stories were travel stories. And I think the reason for that is similar to what you're saying is that the travel stories take us out of the everyday. They are the most memorable because they are the most different. And I think that what happens is it necessarily isn't necessarily that the kindness of strangers is the most significant thing that happens, but I think it's the, one of the most memorable things that happens when you have that kind of connection where you realize that, you know, one, that sometimes it's a good idea. There really are a lot of nice people out there. I think of the Turkish rug salesman in Istanbul who was trying to give me directions to my hotel and just you know, walked me <laughs> blocks to my hotel until I could see it because I was so turned around, which is unusual for me, but I was turned around on, on that particular night. And he, you know, didn't sell me a rug. He just gave me directions and took time out of his, his day to do it. That stands out. It's, it's a memorable story. It's an interesting story because it is a connection. Mm, that's yeah, that's exactly what it is. One of our, old uh one of our old guests on our show said life is about the people that you meet the connections you make and the things you create with them and i think uh, i think that does hold true with a lot of uh, with a lot of things in life really well i think you were talking about people and the connection that reminded me of uh, tanzania and what i always say about tanzania is you go the first time to see the animals you know you you go because of ngorogoro crater and you should because it is a stunning place it's where you're Mind finally says, oh my gosh, this is Africa. I'm literally standing or standing inside a, uh, a uh, Land Rover mm. in a herd of zebra, in a herd of wildebeest. <laughs> but you come back for the people. Mm. That the people leave as much of an impression on you. I think of you know, going to a, a church service and, and hearing the singing. And I swear that any four Tanzanians can break out into five-part harmony. I mean, there's just something amazing uh, about the music there, for instance, and the, and the people. And, and that was as memorable to me as what you hear about, which is the safari experience. Mm. So, and it's one of the reasons too why we talk more about traveling closer to the culture and less about the all-inclusive luxurious resort is not that those aren't nice, but they don't have the depth of richness that you have when you can connect to the culture in my experience. Mm, I absolutely agree. I think the more ingrained you can get into the the place geographically that you're in, uh, it's, I don't know, I think that's more real in a way than uh, something that's kind of, well, I call them plastic things, things that are just, you know, <laughs> hotels that are built for, for if tourists. You, if you're in plastic things, you are not in a good hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> in, in IBM, they used to say that the more you got promoted in the company, the more flammable your office got. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that's true in hotels too, you know. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> cool. Well, Chris Christensen, that was, I think that was three stories for the price of one. God damn. That's value for money, that is. Especially at free. <laughs> that's not too bad, eh? <laughs> so, fantastic. That's Chris Christensen at theamateurtraveler.com. Is there anything you would like to leave our listeners with? Just, I would say, you know, get out there and travel and 
overcome your fears. The thing that I'm always surprised with is what people are afraid of. And I did a survey one time, a Facebook group for amateur traveler, and I said, where would you travel to if you weren't afraid to go? What do you think the number one answer was? Well, if they were, if they were really looking into the afraid part, if they're, maybe if they're from the U.S., they'd probably say the Middle East, but I'd say Africa might I be expected, high on there. I expected Africa, expected the Middle East, expected yeah. Mexico because this was in the middle oh, of yeah, the – Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. You know, this was when people were being killed at roughly nine people a day in Tijuana, mm. down, down when I was traveling there. So, yeah, no, I expected all that. Australia was really? the number It was the flight. Oh, of course, yeah. From the States, it's what, 20, 25 hours? Something like oh, it's that. Or more. It's, it's, uh, maybe it's 18, but it's, it's long. Oh, yeah. But they don't make you row. You know, it's, it's just <laughs> you know, sitting, true. eating, sleeping, and watching movies. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you scary to do that anyway. So. <laughs> I think as well with the Australia thing, people say it's like, oh, it's such a dangerous place that animals are going to get you. It's really not that bad, you know. You no, know, as it turns out, okay, here you go. There is one animal in Australia that kills more people every year than the combination of sharks, alligators, tunnel web spiders, box jellyfish, and venomous snakes. Do you know the animal? And we're not and we're not talking about uh, road accidents with kangaroos which is probably mm. also up there that's pretty high up there yeah um i got two answers i, I think it's the bite of this animal Sorry, oh okay well then i have one answer yeah. it's hey, gotta be up? the the honey badger isn't it no it's the honey bee honey bee honey bees kill roughly 10 people a, a year in australia because no of way. and the all of the others that we named Roughly in any given year, they will lose one person to sharks, <laughs> one person to crocodiles. <laughs> uh, nobody has died since 19, I think it's 1974 from venomous snakes since they invented anti-venom mm. in Australia. And then one did box jellyfish and one to tunnel up spiders. Uh, but uh, they lose more people to vending machine accidents than they lose to all of those combined also. <laughs> I was, uh, was going to be that guy and say humans, but, you know, I left Well, that. that's true too, but... Uh, <laughs> no, the venomous snakes thing is... Um, that's an interesting one. I was up in, uh, this is just story central. This is, I was up in uh, Queensland doing gold mining and uh, it's, I mean, I think nine of the uh, of the top 10 most deadly snakes in the world are there uh, or in Australia maybe. Sorry? But I think it's four of 10, but it's a lot. Well, that sounds less impressive, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and we were there and um, the guy I was with, he was telling me a story about when he was a, he was a kid, he got uh, bitten by a king brown, which are apparently pretty bad. And yeah. um and he said, what, he's, what you're supposed to do is just try, to, try and suck out all the venom, you know, just suck it out. And he said, this stuck with him because he did that and it tasted horrible and it stuck in his mind so that when his daughter was, I think she was six weeks old or something, she, um, all her nose is all filled up, you know, and, uh, and she couldn't breathe out of her nose. She could only breathe out of her mouth. Uh, and, uh, and so he had to clear her nose and he goes, well, I know what to oh, do. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sucked it right out of there. He said he preferred the snake venom. <laughs> horrible story <laughs> well we learned the thing with the vending machines from somebody who was at the tropical zoo in Cairns mm. as he is in the pen or the container I don't know what you'd call it the the area with the 12 foot long crocodile <laughs> 
you know, feeding it a chicken or something like that, yeah. poking it with a stick. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> saying, oh, they're no, they're no danger at all. As long as they can see that you can see them, uh, you know, you're, you're not, a, not any harm at all. We lose yeah. more people every year to vending machines than we lose to crocodiles. And you think, well, okay, I'm no less afraid of crocodiles, but I'm now deathly afraid of vending machines. So. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, no more chocolate bars for me. That's it. <laughs> yeah, if the sugar ain't going to get me, the machine will. That's it. <laughs> cool. So thanks again, Chris. And people can find you uh, on Twitter and Facebook. Where uh, are Twitter, you on? Twitter at Chris2x. Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest as Chris2x. Uh, Amateur Traveler on uh, Facebook. Nice. Chris2x. I like that. Chris, Chris. Yep, Chris, two times. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Thanks, Chris. It's been uh, it's been great trading stories. And uh, yeah, thanks again. We'll have to do this again sometime. Sounds like fun. Fantastic. Nice to speak to you, man. Thanks again to Chris for his story. And thanks to you guys for joining us on his journey. Get in touch on Twitter at Travel Stories UK. Let me know what you think. That guy's got a great sense of humor, right? If you enjoyed the show and you're on iTunes, please subscribe and review. I love all you guys that have done already. I appreciate you so much. Show notes for this episode can be found with the rest of them at TravelStoriesPodcast.com. And again, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at TravelStoriesUK. This episode's question from me to you is, would you have gone with the man from Chris's story? Would you? And why or why not? So thanks again. Join us next time for another immersive, inspiring, and international travel story. And remember, he who does not travel does not know the value of men. Mm-hmm.